You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Good morning, church family. Well, we're continuing on in Galatians this morning, so if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to make your way to the letter of Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 together. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I want to invite you to follow along as I read God's holy, inspired Authoritative word. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. It is He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. Do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Has there ever been a time in your life when someone whom you deeply cared about was about about to make a very foolish decision. A decision which would have serious consequences. A decision that could potentially destroy their future. Can you think of a time Like that, with someone you deeply loved and cared about, you heard about a decision and a choice they were about to make, you thought, please, please, please don't do that. I can only imagine that upon hearing of their plans or their activity, that it affected you deeply. You didn't hear about their decision to do something that would just be devastating and foolish and think, well, that's too bad probably affected you deeply. Can I ask you this question? Did you actually have the opportunity to confront this loved one about their decision before they made it? Maybe you had that opportunity, maybe you didn't. Whether you did or you didn't, I I can imagine that if anybody's ever experienced that, there were probably times as you love on this person, you care for this person, and yet you Watch them going down this path that is, that is dangerous and foolish. There were times you probably, whether you did it or not, you wanted to look them in the eye and scream at the top of your lungs, Are you crazy? What are you thinking? What's wrong with you? You probably felt that, didn't you? There were those times, whether you did it or not, you you felt it. You just wanted to say, are you crazy? What are you thinking? Why bring up this scenario? 
Because I believe the Apostle Paul had this sort of experience when it came to his relationship with the church in Galatia. You see, men and women whom Paul loved, he deeply loved them, they were on the verge of making the biggest mistake of their lives. And when I say they were going to make a big mistake, the consequence of their choice would not only affect them in the present or even in the near future, but for all eternity. And Paul penned this letter, we call the letter of Galatians, in order to talk some sense into these men and women whom he loved. And he did so with the hope of reaching them before it was too late. Earlier in the letter, we heard Paul address them for the first time in verses 6 and 7, and this is what he said. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You see, the problem with the Galatian church was that they were beginning to believe that in order to be justified before God, they needed to do more. That's the key word or phrase. They needed to do more than just place their faith in Christ. Yes, we've got to place our faith in Christ, but we've got to do more if we want to be justified before God. And what more did they need to do? They were being told that as Gentiles, they needed to keep the Mosaic law. In other words, salvation required, according to them, both faith in Christ alongside of obedience to God's commands. And the point Paul was seeking to make is this. He was telling them the message you're hearing is a false gospel. And it's damning. And it's not from God. And here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Paul is now, for the second time, addressing the members of the Galatian church both personally and passionately. We saw it in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 that we just read. And now we see it again. For the second time, Paul addresses the members of this church both personally and he addresses them passionately. And he does this because he wants to persuade them. He wants to persuade them and appeal to them to reject this false gospel they've been taught and to return to Christ once again. Now this morning, you may be wondering, Josh, what does this letter have to do with me? What sort of lesson can I learn from this tragic example of a church drifting away from the message of the gospel? You may be even thinking, Josh, I'm sure the letter of Galatians serves those who may be struggling with this, but I'm not currently being persuaded to reject the message of grace for a message of salvation through law keeping. Some may be, but I'm not. That's, maybe that's just not a temptation of mine. So what does this letter have to say to me? How is it relevant for my, for my life? Well, let me just say this, whether your circumstances are identical to those in Galatia or whether your temptations are similar, 
we are all like the Galatians in more ways than we realize. It's important that we see that. That we can't, that we may look at the letter of Galatians and there's not a a one-to-one correlation with every struggle they have. We are far more like them than different than them. And I think the more we see that, the more we will take away from this sacred letter. And one of the ways in which we are so much more like them is is the thing I think God wants us to see here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. There is a warning that we receive here that we are to heed. And it's this. It's going to be up here on the screen. After we come to Christ, we can increasingly lose sight of the cross and we can become dull in hearing the message of the gospel. That's the point being made here in Galatians 3, 1 through 5. After we come to Christ, we can increasingly lose sight of the cross and we can become dull in hearing the message of the gospel. You see, the problem in Galatia is not a unique problem. Instead, it's a common one. It affects every person who's ever come to saving faith in Christ. We need to see that. The problem that this passage addresses this morning is common for every person who's ever experienced saving faith in Christ. This isn't just a Galatian problem. We are all tempted in this way. How are we tempted? To increasingly lose sight of the cross and become dull in hearing the message of the gospel. What does that mean? Well, over time, here's what we are all tempted to do and we must be aware of we begin to drift away from what God has done for us. And we become more focused on what we are to do for God. That's true for everyone. When we first get saved and we hear the the true gospel of what God has done for us, we rejoice in that, we celebrate that, we bank on it. And then the further we get from our conversion, we stop thinking about what God has done and now it's, well, what, what, what am I to do? That, that becomes our central focus. My aim today is to explore what, what causes us to do this? What causes us to drift away from what God has done for us and to become more focused on what we're to do for God? So I want to explore the cause of this and then I believe the Lord would want us to see What's the cure? How do we keep ourselves, whether we've been saved for a week or a year or 10 years or 50 years, that we all are aware of this drift and we know what to do when we see it taking place? That's what we're going to learn here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Our outline this morning is, is simple. We're going to break this passage down into two parts. In verse 1, we see the eyes of faith, verses 2 through 5, hearing with faith. Let's begin with the eyes of faith, verse 1. Now here's the context of these first five verses, as I've already mentioned. In the first five verses, this is crucial that we see this. Paul is referring to what occurred to those in Galatia when they placed their faith in Christ and therefore were converted. So all the language of of, of these five verses is speaking about that time when they came to saving Christ. Faith. That's important that we keep in mind as we walk through these five verses. That's what Paul's referencing again and again and again. He's reminding them of what happened at their conversion. 
But notice how Paul starts. He starts in a rather abrupt way. Oh, foolish Galatians. Then he asks this question, who has bewitched you? Now, Paul's statement of astonishment, oh, foolish Galatian, and his question, who cast a spell on them in verse 1, both of those must be understood within the, context, within the context of the conversion of the Galatians to Christ approximately one year earlier. So around one year before Paul writes this letter, those who he's writing had heard the message of the gospel, they had come to Christ, and now there is this serious drift. And Paul says this statement, oh foolish Galatians, and he asks them this question, who has bewitched you. Now notice, beginning with that statement, O foolish Galatians, Paul actually says this to the members of the Galatians twice in this passage. Here in verse 1, and then he says it again in verse 3. And it's important that we understand what Paul's doing. He's not seeking to insult. He's not name-calling. He's not seeking to be offensive. He's trying to get their Attention. It's almost as if Paul was saying, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? What are you doing? Because what you're doing makes absolutely no sense. That's how we're to read these two phrases, O foolish Galatians, that shows up in verse 1 and verse 3. It's Paul saying, I don't have a category for what you're doing. Are, are you crazy? Have you lost it? Then he goes on to ask them this question. Who has bewitched you? That's an interesting phrase. Because it, it, it better translate, who's cast a spell on you? I mean, Paul is, is like, how in the world could all of this happen? That you come to saving faith in Christ and in less than a year, here you are wanting to reject that and go back to ways you've been delivered from. It's almost as if, it's a, if a spell was cast on you. Commentator Matthew Harmon describes what this term, cast a spell on, means. Not only in the Bible, but in that time period, to cast a spell means to exert an evil influence through the eye. It's almost as if they've come upon someone and someone's cast a spell on them. And Paul's saying, is that, is that what's wrong with you? Now why does he say that? Why does he ask them that question? Who has bewitched you? I don't interpret Paul's question to be implying that these men and women in Galatia were under some magical spell or that they had been cursed. No, make no mistake. Spiritual forces and Satan were definitely at work deceiving these believers in Galatia. But he was doing so by using false teachers to spread lies and to deceive these folks here in this church. And we see that all throughout the New Testament. So yes, the enemy is behind this. There are spiritual forces at work, but they're using these teachers, these false teachers, to do their deceiving. Now listen, church, the enemy of our soul, he uses many tactics to deceive us. And he uses many tactics to keep us from seeing what we need to see. He causes us to drift from the truth of the gospel. 
And the most subtle way He does that is by causing us to lose sight of the cross. Look at the last part of verse 1. Paul says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Why does Paul say that? It was before your eyes that Paul was publicly portrayed as crucified. When Paul arrived in the region of Galatia for the first time, on his first missionary journey, according to the book of Acts, here's what Paul did. He preached the message of Christ and Him crucified. And Paul is basically saying the way he preached Christ and Him crucified was so vivid and so powerful, it was almost as if you were there and could see Jesus dying on the cross. Though they weren't there, Paul says, you heard about the cross in such a way, it was almost like you saw it, For yourself. You saw Jesus dying for you. And by seeing Jesus dying on the cross, that should have settled any debate among the Galatians about how one is made right with God. Look look just the verse before from last week. Chapter 2, verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Do you understand the the, the logic that Paul's bringing here? He's saying, listen, if you're flirting with the idea that maybe you need Christ and law keeping, then why in the world did Christ die? Because to believe in law keeping, it, it, it nullifies what Christ did. The cross should, should settle any thought in your mind that maybe, well, maybe we should believe in Christ and return to law keeping. Paul's saying, if you understand the cross, you can't have that thought because the cross removes that thought from our mind. You see, the cross on which Jesus died, here's what it communicates the cross communicates man's inability to do. What was necessary to be right with God. The fact that Jesus died, it says something loudly to us. No one on planet earth has ever or will ever do what is necessary to be justified before God. That's the first thing the cross says. All of us. Everyone. Everywhere. No matter how they grew up. No matter what their moral or spiritual background is. No matter where they are the worst person on the planet. Or they are you know, Molly Moral over here. It doesn't matter who they are. Everyone. The cross says everyone is unable to do what's necessary to be right with God. And the cross also communicates something else. It communicates that God has done what was necessary To make sinners right with Him. That's what the cross does. It communicates something to us. It it, it should have communicated something to the Galatians. And it should communicate something to us. Later on in chapter 3. Paul's going to go back to this theme of the cross. And how important it is. In chapter 3 verse 13. He says this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. For it is written. Cursed is Everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see, instead of being punished for our sin, God punished Jesus instead so that we can be forgiven. 
This means, this is so important that we get this. This means that the only way we can be justified by faith in Christ is because of the death of Christ in our place on the cross. See, a major theme, as we already heard in the letter of Galatians, is the theme of justification by faith in Christ. But here's another theme, and they go together. There can be no justification by faith in Christ if there is not substitutionary atonement. If there is no cross, there is no justification. And that's the point Paul's making. He says to them, how can you lose sight of what the cross says to you? And as far as we can tell, according to the language of of verses 1-5, through After hearing about Jesus dying on the cross for their sins, those in Galatia, it appears, saw with their own eyes, not literally, but spiritually, they saw the beauty of the cross and they placed their faith in Christ. Paul is writing to people who who saw Jesus die as, as they heard this message. And they saw the beauty of the cross. And it cut them to the heart. And they placed their faith in Christ. But sometime after their conversion, they began to lose sight of the cross. The very place where the law's demands were crucified. And they want to return to the idea that they must do something to merit favor with God. That's what's happening here in this this letter. These people who saw the cross, know what the cross says, are now wanting to leave it. And say, okay, I'm glad I was saved by faith. Now what do I got to do? Paul's saying, you're losing sight of the cross. Here's a question. How did those in Galatia first see Christ dying for their sin? And how do we today, who cannot get in a time machine and go back 2,000 years, see Christ dying on a cross for our sin? How did they see Christ dying. And how do we see Christ dying? By hearing the message of the gospel. Our ears become our source of sight. And that brings us now to verses 2 through 5. Hearing with faith. Look again at Galatians 3. I want to point out something in 2 and 5. They're they're like the bookends of this section. Notice what Paul does both in, 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 in these two verses. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Skip down to verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Do you see that contrast in both of these verses? He, He brings up hearing with faith versus doing works of the law. And Paul's asking them these questions. In in verse 2, he asked them this question, which is the second question uh, among a number of questions he's going to ask them in this passage. He poses this question. And he begins this way. Let me ask you only this. Now what's interesting about that is when he says, let me ask you only this, Paul's already asked one question and he's about to ask four more. So you're thinking, okay, so is this one question? Because it appears you're asking more questions. But what Paul's doing in all five questions is getting at one thing. He's asking them five questions 
that are just coming from different angles to get them to see something. One thing he wants them to see. And the question that he wants them to focus on was this. How did you come to Christ? And and how did you experience conversion where the Spirit of God was given to you? And he asked them this question. Was it through the law? When I came and I preached to you in Galatia, did, did you come to saving faith because of the law? Or was it by hearing the message of the gospel and then responding in faith? The obvious answer would have been to hearing with faith. I don't even know that those in Galatia would have disagreed with this point Paul was making. I think if he would have been there personally, sat them all down, shared all this with them, and said to them, how did any of y'all come to saving faith? I don't think any of them said, oh, because we kept the law. It was, oh, we heard. We put our faith in Jesus. And that's why once Paul makes that point, he turns around in verse 3 and for the second time calls them foolish. He calls them foolish yet again. Are you so foolish? This time it's not a statement. It's a question. Why does he ask this question? Because though they had received the Spirit of God by hearing with faith, notice what they're doing. They're attempting to live out their Christian life by human effort instead of by the means of the Spirit and by faith in Christ. Look at the rest of verse 3. Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? So once again, he's saying, okay, I, I I don't get this, and you obviously don't get this. What, what, how, how can you miss this? You didn't come to saving faith by the flesh. You came by putting your faith in Christ and receiving the Spirit. So why was that your beginning point? And now you think, I don't need the Spirit. I don't need faith. I'm just going to be obedient. How'd you get there? It's Paul's point. How, how did you arrive there? Then he says in verse 4, Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. What what Paul's saying here is all that happened to them when they came to saving faith, like their willingness to suffer persecution. He said, was that all in vain? But what's he doing here in verse 4? He's jocking their memory. He's going to point out one thing in verse 4 and another thing in verse 5 that takes them back to that sweet moment when they came to saving faith. And one of those is, do you remember when you heard about the gospel and the free offer of the gospel? You put your faith in Christ even to the point you were willing to be persecuted about it. Do you remember that? Do you remember that in that moment you were willing to be mocked and insulted and treated badly? Was that for nothing? You, you remember how sweet that was when I shared the gospel and you all said, yes, yes, we want that. And you were willing to be harassed and, and, and mocked for that. He's getting them to go back to that time. See, by asking the question in this way, Paul was trying to remind them of their conversion experience. And he did this in order to draw their attention to to what they once believed in and the effect that it had on them. That brings us now to verse 5. Paul once again takes them back to that moment. Verse 5 he says, 
Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, by hearing with faith? According to verse 5, here's another thing that must have happened after they came to saving faith and they were converted and they had the Spirit. All of a sudden, supernatural things are happening. They're starting to pray and God's answering prayers in miraculous ways. So all of a sudden they hear the Gospel. They're willing to be persecuted. There's this joy in the Gospel. God is doing incredible things in their midst. And Paul says, how did all that happen? Was it because of the law? Was it because of hearing with faith? Go back to that day. Jog your memory. How did all of those sweet things that we all experienced together, how did they occur? The answer, they occurred because of grace. They occurred, they occurred because of faith. And they happened because the Spirit was given to these believers. Not because they did something to make it happen. Not because they deserved it. All of a sudden, all of these things that were happening was because they heard the message of the Gospel and they believed. Now, if that's the case, then that leaves this massive question. Why would people who've experienced this shift away from hearing with faith to seek to do works of the law? What would cause someone to do that? I mean, it'd be one thing if these people never came to save in faith and were the kind of people who said, Paul, we don't believe Christ and Christ alone. We believe in, 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 in you know, works of the law getting us... Made us right. But these aren't people like that. These are people who wholeheartedly heard the gospel, received the Spirit, saw God do just incredible things in their midst, and now they're willing to throw it all away. And it leaves us all scratching our head. How can this happen? Answering that single question allows us to understand why we too are tempted to lose sight of the cross and become dull in hearing the message of the gospel. See, if we can answer that question, then we can get at why we, just like the Galatians, maybe not in the same form, maybe not in the same ways, but we too can begin to drift. And we can begin to lose sight of the cross. And our hearing can become dull when it comes to the message of the gospel. So what causes you and I to drift from the message of the cross and to gravitate towards legalism? That's the question we must answer. Now, that's the problem that's being addressed here at this point in the letter. Paul is addressing this whole idea of them leaving faith or adding to faith obedience is called legalism. If you remember back when we began chapter 2, I, I said, be aware of this. In the days ahead, as we make our way through this book, we, we are going to encounter the two enemies of the gospel. I said they're like two ditches. The gospel's a road, there's two ditches. Legalism and license. Eventually we'll get to license. Today is about legalism once again. So let me give you the definition of legalism I gave then. Legalism occurs when the law becomes central to our relationship with God because we think it earns us merit with Him. So the law becomes central 
It becomes central to our relationship with God because we think that if we keep the law, it does something. It, it merits us something with God. If I could go back to the illustration from a few weeks ago and tweak it a little bit. Remember I said the law was like a railroad track? Just meant to keep God's people you know, knowing where to go? Here's the problem with the Galatians, and we can do the same. The law goes from being a railroad track to the engine that powers our relationship with God. The law can drive us. This is my relationship with God. I did these things or I didn't do these things. And that is the essence of how we relate to God. Now, why on the earth, why on earth would we struggle with legalism? Out of all things we would struggle with, why would we struggle with legalism? I mean, who would want to go back to, to law-keeping when we're being offered grace? Well, the answer is actually quite simple. Why do we struggle with legalism? Because legalism is natural to us all. We are natural-born legalists. We are natural-born legalists. Look at, look at Galatians once more. Why, why were these believers tempted to leave Christ for law-keeping? Why were they tempted? These people who once put their faith in Jesus tempted to leave all that. Well, we could say false teachers. Well, they play a part. Demonic influence. Definitely happening. Not what Paul says. Oh, foolish Galatians. He holds them responsible. The reason you're gravitating towards that is there's something in you and about you that can cause you to hear the message of the gospel and then eventually begin to drift away from it. So why would they drift away from it? And why would we drift away from it? Why, why is legalism something that comes natural to us and that it would cause us to, to respond to the cross the way we do? Well, I think the answer is found at the end of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. Paul gets to the heart of the matter. One of the biggest issues about law keeping has to do with circumcision. And listen to what he says. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Do you see that? Do you hear it? Why were they tempted to go back to law keeping? What is it that, that, that tempted them to legalism? You see, turning the law into a ladder makes us feel worthy and even superior to others. And it enables us to boast in our accomplishments. Why does legalism come natural? Because legalism is motivated by pride. And we are all proud to the core. See, the problem in Galatia wasn't simply that there were false teachers. The problem 
in Galatia. And the problem with us today is that we can be tempted to lead what we know and drift away because there's a legalist within. There's pride motivating us. And it comes in different ways and in different forms. I love how these two men describe this this battle we all fight. Tom Schreiner, New Testament scholar, says the following. He says, legalism has its origins in self-worship. That's just cutting to the quick. (laughs) Let's not sugarcoat this. Legalism has its origins in self-worship. If people are justified through their obedience to the law then they merit praise, honor, and glory. Legalism, in other words, means the glory goes to people rather than to God. Now, none of us would say, well, I want the praise. But every time we have that idea of law-keeping and we get away from the cross and the message of the gospel, you know what we're we're doing? We're, we're, We're putting ourselves first. and We're becoming the center. And our actions are being motivated by self-worship. C.J. Mahaney, a fellow Sovereign Grace pastor and the founder of our family of churches, he he said it like this, legalism is essentially self-atonement for the purpose of self-glorification and self-worship. Yeah. We want to pull back the curtain, raise up the hood, Look at legalism for all of its ugliness. Legalism is essentially self-atonement for the purpose of self-glorification and self-worship. But you know what the message of the cross does? The message of the cross that we need to go back to instead of drift away from, the, the message of the cross crucifies our pride and it produces humility because it reminds us. Remember what we said earlier? It reminds us that from start to finish, not just from the start, but from start to finish. Our salvation is rooted and grounded in grace. And the only way we can access that grace is by receiving it by faith. And that means God gets all the glory. Not just at the beginning, but one day when you and I make our way into eternity, and even when we were receiving our rewards and our good deeds are being done, We will not say, yeah, I did pretty well there, God. From the moment of conversion to every aspect of our sanctification to our glorification, God will get all the glory. That is what the cross tells us. God gets the glory. So how do we keep from losing sight of the cross and becoming dull in hearing the message of the gospel? How, how, how can we heed this warning and not let the cross become something that just becomes more distant and distant and distant as the years go on from our conversion? And that our ears go, oh yeah, okay, they're singing about the gospel again. Oh yeah, they're talking about the gospel again. I mean, yeah, of course the gospel's good. Maybe there's some unbelievers there that need to hear about the gospel today. I mean, I don't need to hear about the gospel. I've been saved for 30 years. I'd... We can be tempted with that. It just becomes second nature. It can almost become a buzzword. The gospel it loses its power and its beauty. So how do we keep that from happening? Two quick things as we close. First, we must never forget how we came to Christ. We must never 
forget how we came to Christ. All of our stories are different. You may have a radical conversion story. You may not. You may remember the date you came to Christ. You may not. But it's important that we often remind ourselves we never forget how we came to Christ. In the same way that Paul reminded the Galatians of their conversion experience in order to keep them from drifting, we must do the same. We must do the same. Many years ago, speaking of CJ, again, CJ Mahaney, I heard him give a message on this chapter and on this passage, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Through five, And the title of his message always stuck with me. The title of his message was Interrogating the Legalist Within. And that's what we must do. The inner legalist must be interrogated, not listened to. The inner legalist must be taken to the woodshed. We must ask questions about our conversion when the, the legalist within wants to rise up and wants to condemn us or accuse us or remind us of all the good things we've done or all the things we've failed to do, we, we must take our cue from Paul who just bombards the legalist with these questions and we must do the same. When we feel that happening, we must say, okay, I'm not going to listen to myself. I'm going to talk to myself. I'm going to remind myself of, of how I first became justified before God. Friends, nothing, nothing, ever good comes from constantly criticizing and critiquing ourselves over our sin and failure. And, and many of us struggle with that. We live far more aware of our failure than the cross. And it affects our joy. It affects how we view how God sees us. We wonder how others view us. And we live always under the shadow of that critique. And for some of us, though it's subtle, it's, it's here. We don't struggle with constant criticism. We do the opposite. And friends, nothing good comes from placing confidence in our moral standards, our spiritual zeal, or our love for God. For some of us, we are always feeling condemned. And for some of us, maybe we would never say this with our mouth, but we're like the tax collector and the, and the lawyer. In the parable of Jesus, we're thinking, you know what? I, I, I've not done enough to be right with God, but at least I'm not like this guy. We watch the news and we hear about our culture and, and, and the morality of our culture. And we say, well, I don't believe any of those things. At least I'm not like that. At least I showed up to church this morning. My neighbor did. You know, I don't do a lot of things well, but at least I love. And our confidence starts being in what we failed to, to do or what we have done. And when that happens, we must confront ourselves by asking these questions that take us back to our conversion and the message of Christ in Him crucified. And lastly, we mature in our faith by never moving on from faith. You want to mature in your faith? Never move on from faith. What do I mean by that? Here's a myth. We can think we start with faith and move on to obedience. Kind of like we have that idea the gospel is the door to the house. Of course, we need the gospel to get in the house, but then uh, we leave the gospel behind. The gospel's for getting saved. The gospel's for evangelism. Now we're in the house. We, we got to move on to rooms of obedience. Listen. Faith fuels obedience. 
We never move on from faith to obedience. We remain grounded and rooted in faith. Isn't that the point Paul's making in verse 3? Isn't that the very thing he's critiquing them of? You didn't receive the Spirit that way. You didn't come to saving faith. So why now do you think, well, I'll just, I'll try harder. I'll just be more devout. Paul's saying, that's not how it goes. So how can we grow in our faith instead of moving on for our faith? We'll remember the object of our faith is Christ. So if we want to grow in our faith, we want to mature in our faith, but in a way that we don't move on from our faith, here's what we need to do. We need to grow in our understanding of Christ in our affection for Christ, and that will mature us in our faith. See, we all, I would guess, know things about Jesus. But is of our views of Jesus still so elementary? I heard one author say recently, are we satisfied scuba, uh, um, snorkeling in the waters of Christ and we've never scuba dived? The reason we don't grow in our faith and mature in our faith is because we don't grow in our understanding of Christ. Because if Christ is the object of our faith and our faith is never meant to be moved on from but matured, then the more we know Jesus, the more we appreciate Jesus, the more we see the glory and the splendor and the beauty of Jesus, the more we will grow. Let me make two recommendations in light of that. This last point. Kyle held up the book Gentle and Lowly. That'd be a great book. If you don't know where to get started, you don't know of, of something to read that would just help you stare at Christ and the heart of Christ. I would encourage you to read that book. I have read that book a number of times now. And it has deeply and profoundly affected my view of Christ. And I'd also encourage you to read The Cross-Centered Life by C.J. Mahaney. I've mentioned him twice now. The founder of our family of churches. C.J. built along with other leaders, our family of churches around this idea of the gospel and keeping the main thing the main thing. And that book really encapsulates it all. If, if you haven't read that book, you're a member of our church, I want to encourage you to get a copy. Read it. And if it's been a while since you've read it, it's time to pull it off the shelf again. Read it again. I think it would be great to do, to read books like this as we go through this letter of Galatians. So church, may we now hear this warning and heed these points of application. And may by the help of God, we leave here and apply them. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us now to take what we've heard and to not just simply file it away, to put our notes aside. But Lord, may we now live the rest of our week in the good of what we've just heard. May the cross not lose its glory and its wonder. May it not become distant. May we live in the shadow of the cross. May the message of the gospel never just become something we grow familiar with. But may we continue to be moved by what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, may you continue 
to show us more of Christ. May we grow in our knowledge of Christ. May our faith deepen in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.